0: Hello and welcome to episode number 32 of Making Media Now, the Filmmaker's Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is filmmaker Tracy Heather Strain. Tracy's an award-winning director, producer, and writer committed to using film and video to bring diverse and often unknown stories to light in order to advance social justice build community, and empower the marginalized in engaging ways. In 1999, Tracy won a Peabody Award for her first two feature documentaries, Bright Like a Sun and The Dream Keepers, as part of the six-part Blackside PBS series, I'll Make Me a World, A Century of African American Arts. She won another Peabody Award in 2019 for the American Masters television broadcast of her directing effort. Lorraine Hansberry, Sighted Eyes, Feeling Heart. That was the first feature film about the late artist and activist best known for writing the play A Raisin in the Sun. That bio doc, which premiered at the 2017 Toronto International Film Festival, also netted Tracy a 50th NAACP Image Award for motion picture directing that year. Tracy's also president and CEO of the Film Posse, a production company she co-founded with her partner and colleague, Randall McLowry. Together, they have directed and produced and written the NEH-funded American experience film, American Oz, which premiered in April of this year. The pair is presently developing a documentary for NOVA, and Tracy also currently teaches documentary production, storytelling, and history at Wesleyan University. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit FilmmakersCollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, Please subscribe, leave a review, and share with others. And now on to my conversation with Tracy Heather Strain. Tracy Heather Strain, welcome to Making Media Now.
1: Thank you, I'm glad to be here. Nice to see you. It's nice to
0: see you too, yes. Our listeners can't see either of us, but we can see each other. That's the way we do these things. And before I hit record, Tracy and I had a bit of a reunion. Um, I had the, the pleasure of meeting Tracy. Uh, we were both sort of shuddering to remember that it was about 20 years ago, but we were working on a project together at WGBH. And, uh, you know, time can go by and you realize I actually haven't physically been in the same presence as someone. But what's kind of cool, at least for me, uh, is in these instances where, you know, I've still followed your work through, you know, through these years. And in the following of your work and in the in the viewing of your work, some part of my brain actually thinks, oh, yeah, you've been in touch with Tracy. You've seen Tracy. You've talked to Tracy. But, you know, not really. I did a couple of years ago and you were probably so inundated with with press and so forth uh, when you um, when your film Sighted Eyes Feeling Heart came out um, just before I think you were going to Toronto. We had done a uh, sort of a a virtual interview where I sent you a bunch of questions and you were kind enough to send back a bunch of answers. And we put that up on the Filmmakers Collaborative website. So that was about as close as real communication that you and I have had in a while. But all of that is to say that you have been a very busy filmmaker, producer and now also a um, an associate professor uh, of film studies at Wesleyan. And you're also the co-founder of the film Posse with your producing partner, Randall McClory. And most recently, uh, Tracy, what kind of puts you back on my list of people that I really got to catch up with is this great film that you did for American Experience called American Oz. So that's my very long winded way of saying, hey, great to see you.
1: Thanks. It's great. It's nice to see you. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, working as a, a documentary filmmaker, um, like most people I've had to be quite adaptable and to try to, you know, take opportunities that come my way and try to mix it with goals that I've set for myself. And so it's a, it's a, it's a and you know, the main goal is to stay alive, eat, pay the bills. There you go. a um, so hierarchy of that. needs. <laughs> right, right. So it's been quite, uh, quite a journey sometimes it's been very very challenging and and very depressing and then and other times it's been um quite wonderful and um and exciting and but overall I feel extremely blessed um to have the experiences that I've had to actually be talking to you. People have had, so many people have had such a bad, you know, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel very fortunate that my relatives, my closest relatives are all healthy and, and, uh, working if that's what they do. <laughs> Some are retired. And, uh, so it's, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at everything in a very positive light and seeing every opportunity in a more positive way.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great perspective. You know, and it is interesting how, you know, as you and I are speaking right now in middle of June and the world is opening up again. But if you had wound the clock back 18 months and someone said to you, oh, hey, in about a year and a half from now, you're going to be living in a post pandemic world. You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Wait, slow down, pandemic. What? You know, and to come out whole and to come out with, you know, still, um uh vibrancy in terms of vocation and ambition uh you're absolutely right it's something not to be taken lightly you know when i think about when i review the work that you have done and when i and when i think about the the conversations that you and i have had over the years if if there's one sort of descriptive that came to my mind relative to you it's dogged determination and you have taken on some multi-year multifaceted projects that I have to believe stem from just a this dogged determination and a, and a real passion for the subjects talk talk to me a little bit about that so I guess what I'm really asking is what does a story whether it's an individual story or a maybe a movements story, what does it have to uh, comprise to lodge in your head and your heart for all that period of time to keep you going and keep you pursuing uh, wanting to tell that story?
1: So I'll use Sighted uh, Eyes, Feeling Heart as an example. Um, I was first introduced to Lorraine Hansberry when I was 17 years old, by, when I saw the play To Be Young, Gifted and Black at the Harrisburg Community Theater. And I didn't know anything about Lorraine Hansberry And I was really struck by what how they presented her, what she had to say um, in that play that was produced posthumously after. um, And they used her words. And I'd never heard a young black woman speaking about things I thought of in ways that I'd thought of things about class and race and gender. And, you know, I just. I was sort of taken aback by it, and um, and though I didn't think about her during when I went to college that fall, I, I even became I shifted biology to become an American Studies major from biology to being an American Studies major, and I wasn't really thinking about Lorraine Hinsbury. I think I started thinking about what I realized I didn't know about our country. And and I didn't, I I had no idea that history could be so interesting because the way it was taught in my high school was pretty boring. And it was mostly memorizing dates. And the, the idea of thinking about something, it first started with the American Revolution, seeing the American Revolution from various points of view. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. You know, it was a time when American studies was not an official major yet, it was interdisciplinary. And even interdisciplinary studies were, controversial at that time in the, in academia. Uh, so it was kind of make your own major. And so I just took tons of courses that related to the United States in all different disciplines. Um, and then I got out of school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I, I got into advertising and direct marketing. And I, at some point I realized I wanted to be a filmmaker, but I didn't know anybody. I read up some books about of- about it. I followed the plan. I tried to get a I got a job answering the phones, but I but I was actually by then motivated to make a film, become a filmmaker, to make a film about Lorraine Hansberry. I was really struck by the independent mo- film movement of the 80s. So, my side-eyes feeling heart came from my interest in Lorraine Hansberry. But I didn't it was predating me being a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So, I just basically years go go by and I learn things. I work on all these different projects. And finally, I get in the position that, okay, I have had enough experiences that it's, I need to make this film now. And so then that's when I actually start the 14 year clock, right? that became a 14 year journey, I should say. In 2004, that was really hard. What sustained me is that we received some money, from a a number of sources, and it was enough to do some interviews with people that included Lorraine Hansberry's sister, uh, her friend Bert DeLugoff, um, Glenn Turman, who played Travis, the little boy, and uh, a few other people.
0: So just for our listeners who may not be uh, as familiar with Lorraine Hansberry as some others, uh, her, her best known work is A Raisin in the Sun.
1: Yes, that's true. I, I met her cousin. I inter- in, and, and so all of these people were very warm. They were forthcoming. They shared things that actually aren't in print anywhere. Anywhere, like I have some interviews that are very rare. And what they shared, not only about their knowledge of Lorraine Hansberry, but what they said about themselves, what they said about America, what they said about the African-American experience. But they all had faith in me they felt like I was the right person. I, I felt that generational thing because these people are, you know, we're in their eighties and many of them have passed away. And so there was a time when I wanted to quit. I, it was just so hard, but what kept me was I felt like I owed it to them.
0: Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And that's, that's what sustained me on that project. So that's where the dogged determination came in, but we faced a lot of rejections. Sometimes people didn't think, you know, they thought the budget was too high as if somehow Lorraine Hansberry didn't, wasn't worthy of having the same kind of treatment you might give Arthur Miller or somebody else, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so there were like complications and frustrations related to that. Um, but, you know, archival projects are expensive. Right. And, and these kind of projects where you have the complexity of a life, the person's art, cultural context, and you're trying to, and in historical you know, context as well. Right. You're Correct. trying to weave all that together. That's not something you can just like, you know, pop out of your head in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in, a, in a short period of time. So in a weird way, I in a weird way, we benefited from the, the length of time, too.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you, you said that, you know, you felt a, um, a sense of responsibility to all of these people who you know, had agreed to speak with you and quite obviously speak with you at a, at a level of depth that, you know, revealed their connection to Lorraine and her story and that tapped into your passion for the story.
1: Yeah. We were really prepared. I was really, I, I, they could tell I really had researched and, and because also I was doing primary research within these, these interviews. So like I didn't, there was what they said wasn't in books, I had to like really know enough stuff that was potentially going on to sort of ask probing questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And I would imagine that level of responsibility, particularly once you're a few years in, you know, a handful of years in and how many dozens of interviews in that level of responsibility is either overwhelming or very empowering.
1: Yeah, it was overwhelming most of the time <laughs> because it's like, you know, no one knew anything about Lorraine Hansberry. Like I wanted to make a film that was going to work, that people could use it in the high school classrooms, that it would work, that academics could use it in university classrooms and not think it was too uh, simplified, that people love theater would you know, it would work for them. People who love Lorraine, people that, you know, I just, it was a, it felt like I had to get this right. And I also wanted to have it feel creative and artistic. And, and, you know, I didn't, it wasn't just about getting her biography out. I wanted to have take people on an emotional journey into this woman's life, art and times. Mm -hmm. And so that my test at a film is that I want, I always want people to feel a little misty-eyed, a little kerfuffle, What is the term? I'm not saying it right. Kerfuffle. No, 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 no. It's, um.
0: (laughs) Oh, For clempt,
1: yes. You can put that out, yes. Don't ask me to spell it. (laughs) And uh, because I, I feel like then you've succeeded. People feel like they've been somewhere. I hate watching a film at the end. I'm like, Okay. What's next?
0: Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I want people to watch almost anything I make and feel like, huh, wow. Huh. You know, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. You know, what's, what's great too is that, you know, if there were, if there were a documentary about the making of this documentary, it's got such a wonderful ending there, you, you know, after this 14 year uh, trek uh, you get this, world premiere at the Toronto international film festival. You're all over the New York times. Uh, you come away, the film wins a, uh, 2018 Peabody award, uh, the NAACP image award. Like what is your reality feeling like at that point?
1: So, um, I was really feeling blessed. I, I was so happy to, get a Peabody award. Um, I had actually used my second one. The first films I worked That's on right, was part yes. of a series um, yeah. at Blackside called All Make Me, All Make Me World, a World, The Century of African-American Arts, and we won a Peabody award for that. So I started out winning a Peabody award on my first film. So I was like, I hope I can do it again. And so I was really grateful to have that experience. And they're different now. It didn't, it used to be a luncheon. Now it's like a night thing. And It sure a, is. Yeah. A big deal. Now they're moving them to L.A. The NAACP Image Award for Directing is something I totally did not expect. It was such a surprise. First of all, I was up against people who were directing things for HBO and Netflix. And so and it's a funny thing, because at night they didn't the order of how they gave the awards, I think, had a lot to do with if people had publicists. And so they made sure their people got to go early because just because of some other things that transpired a few days before, and and how much uh, swag
0: was in your gift basket? Did you did you put together a yeah, gift, yeah. gift basket, Tracy? <laughs> right.
1: I also, but because also, the, a lot of the questions were like, "Is your public like?" You, there was like this assumption that your publicist or your manager or something would be answering things or picking up materials for you, you know, or your tickets. Um, but anyway, they had done all the writing of uh, the directing awards earlier, and then really late in the evening came mind. I thought they actually forgot it, you know? And, and so then when they said my name, I was totally surprised. And so that was really, really fun. And, um, I was ha- really happy in addition to Randy McLowry being there, my partner, um, Imani Perry was there. She was nominated for an NWCP image award as well. And she's a key, um, subject, key interview in Side Eyes, Feeling Heart. So it was great to have someone there that, someone else there that I knew to witness this
0: when you experience sort of the culmination of a 14 year journey and epic experience like that what does it take for you to sort of wake up the next day and say okay where are we with the next thing
1: well you kind of don't get to do that because what happens next is that people want they start inviting you to things okay and so I spent much of 2008 on the road, uh, going to colleges and universities, museums, different places to show the film, lots of Q and A's. It was kind of interesting. You kind of start seeing why people who have to do this kind of thing all the time might want to have people around them. Right. You know, they, like it, it's like every day I was waking up at you know maybe four o'clock to get on a plane by six to get somewhere to get, you know, get there. And then the event might be in the evening. So you're by yourself all day and then you go to the event and you're meeting new people that you don't know. And sometimes they take you to dinner before, sometimes they take you to dinner after. And so it's like, it's, it's a really interesting, it was really interesting to start thinking about and have empathy for people who are living like that. Whether we're talking about someone who is like an actor or a director on the road, you know, doing their, publicity tours or some you know some other person that just has that kind of job how how lonely it can be even though you're excited that your work is being celebrated it was interesting yeah it's probably a little more melancholy than you're expecting but
0: (laughs) yeah well of course in the fantasy you're only thinking of the highlights
1: right right exactly and, and so that's sometimes when you see things, people commenting on things on Twitter and, or other places where they're like, Pete, I'll just suck it up. Of course, people are sucking. It's not that's not the <laughs> point when they make these comments. It's just to say it's it's different than you might think.
0: Yeah, there's a human aspect to it also.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: For American Oz, which which was presented by American Experience, the PBS series, and it's it's the story of L. Frank Baum, the um, the writer of The Wizard of Oz, which first was a he's the
1: writer of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz,
0: The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, of course, that's right. They truncated the title for the movie, so a lot of people, myself included, didn't even realize it was a book first. uh, Well before it was a uh, the film with Judy Garland. Um, How does his story? And that story feel like, yeah, this is something that we want to, that we want to be a part of. And this is, this is a story that can hit sort of all of those buttons that, that resonate for you as a creator and a uh, filmmaker.
1: First of all, we were delighted that American Experience approached us about something that was so popular. You know, a lot of the projects that they ask us to do are, uh, you know, further back in, well, let's say they're. They're just like not as known, mm-hmm. you know? and so here's this world famous book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and but really it's a world famous movie, right? The Wizard of Oz that everyone knows, and um, and so that was just exciting initially. But I grew up with I had fourteen Oz books on my in my bedroom. Oh, did you really? So I, yeah. So I was really excited to connect with something from my childhood randy did not know did not know about the books and he it's funny because he didn't know for a long time that it went into color because his family didn't have a color tv for <laughs> a, a long time i think he might have been i don't think he knew until college maybe you yeah. <laughs> know but, but it was yeah so we were really delighted to sort of see if we could um what we could do with that story, because again, it's another artist, another writer uh, story. After you know, completing Hands Right, we've done, we did two other films in between that for American Experience. Mostly, those were Randy's directorial um, mm-hmm. efforts. But yeah, we were we were really excited and to see the connections with American history. One thing we didn't expect, though, that his wife, after he died, burned their papers. So the kind of insight that we were able to dr- pull out of some of Lorraine's writings or even correspondence to her there was less of that a lot less of that available so we had to make a film that wasn't quite always knowing his exact motivation
0: right for
1: some of the decisions he made but you can you can see how certain experiences that he had made their way into his book Um, um, did
0: did, did she ever provide a rationale as to why she burned the papers
1: i don't think so um i don't think we knew that but the other thing i was going to say is the other thing you can't you have to be careful because it's a children's book and you can't take you know an adult's thoughts right and what's going on politically in the world and just say oh he's putting all of that in here it, it, he was a guy that told stories he told kids stories he liked to make up stories He was like an entertaining guy and
0: one of the really interesting uh, elements that your film draws out and and again it's one of those things that once somebody points it out to you it's sort of like oh yeah that's right i hadn't thought about that you know, as I watched it innumerable amounts of time growing up um, was the 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 difference that a female a female protagonist had in the film. You know, the, it's yeah. the little girl who's she's, you know, regardless of the, the scarecrow wanting to get a brain, she's the one with the brains.
1: Right. And she's plucky and she's can do. And, you know, Bob's mother-in-law is a famous feminist, Matilda Jocelyn Gage. And 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 they were very close Uh, and he adored his wife and uh, as well. And he had a very, um, a very progressive uh, way of thinking about women's place in, you know, in society. And, and, you know, you know this from seeing the movie, that front piece has a picture of like the the good witch. And, it, you know, he's in the you know, it's kind of he dedicates it to his wife. But, it, you know, you kind of like to think that maybe that good witch is a nod to his his mother-in-law, his late mother-in-law.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She she was hugely influential at, at some very key times in his life, too, because his was, you know, not a smoothly paved road.
1: He was somebody who. It was interesting that he would quit jobs sometimes that were he was quite successful at, and then things that were part of his fantasy and things that he really wanted to do. He was unsuccessful until he wrote the wonderful wizard. Well, until he started writing children's books, because mm-hmm. the first book he wrote was successful too. Mm-hmm. Not. As I'm interested.
0: Successful. I'm interested in your story. Um, how. You've been balancing over the past few years or perhaps more than few years teaching with continuing to be a filmmaker in all of the, you know, the research and the logistics and the, the funding apparatus that, that that entails.
1: Yeah, it's been quite a juggle. And uh, in the few years, I think we're going to change our, our approach our model of the, how we've been living. But basically, we work all the time.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> now that's something uh, that hasn't changed in 20 years, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I mean, sometimes I get a chance to play tennis. We try to eat, we sleep and work out, but um, you know, and yeah, unfortunately, you know, we haven't been have the best social life. We haven't got any vacations, you know, we just, you know, it's always full with work and I, I don't think that's, you know, always, I don't think that's necessarily very healthy. So, um, but how I did it was, first of all, I'm not working alone. You know, I have, not only do I have Randy who, um, is able to take on the heavy lifting on the, on the film projects in some cases, but, um, when I'm having to teach uh, he also actually helps me teach too so um before i was we we both are now employed at wesleyan but before that when i was at northeastern he definitely helped me he came to classes and helped me teach to my students and did things like that he was, he, we we try to be very supportive of each other oz is the first time since hansbury that i actually directed something i co-directed with randy and we had another producer Working with us, yep. Because Randy now also has Wesleyan responsibilities, and so she did a lot of the heavy research lifting. So we, when we work on these commission projects, we have a we're, we have the money to have a team. So right. we usually have either another producer, or the, an associate producer, and then a production assistant. Mm-hmm. This all got messy because we because of the pandemic. So Oz was really hard to get done, not just because we both were working at Wesleyan, it was our first year at Wesleyan, but during our spring break in March, we got five interviews done of 12 before the world shut down. And so it was very challenging to get the rest done. So the rest of the interviews that are in the film were done remotely via Zoom. Camera person went there, kind of set up, and we were in, our home offices, which is where I am now. And, uh, and that's how we did it. Yes, yeah, was- So
0: you did all that and then you got through post and the film, the film aired, uh, yeah. in April of this year.
1: Yeah. It was the, it was the latest delivery we've ever made on a project. (laughs) You know, it was like, usually they want it two months ahead. I think I don't even know if it got there a month beforehand. You know, it it was really hard. And also all the archives, I don't know about right now, but when we were completing the film, like, you know, the, all the archives weren't open. So there were masters that master materials that we weren't able to get. So some things aren't as beautiful as they could have been. And, but it was, it was, you know, it was just a, it was it was de- that was definitely a huge challenge psychologically to get through that and also deal with students who were trying to, you know, deal with the pandemic and right. learn how to teach through Zoom hybrid models. Sometimes, like last semester, I was in the classroom, but then some people were online and dealing with remembering to push all the buttons and, you know, have things ready. Cause, oh, you have to have the digital version for the people who are at home. And, you know, it was just a you lot. You need a
0: control room just to run a class.
1: <laughs> exactly. So but it was, it's, you know, I, again, I go back to what I said earlier. I feel really, these are like, these are problems that you know, can be solved. Right. And um, I'm just really grateful. And I actually feel extremely grateful to have this position at Wesleyan because it will allow us to move into a kind of filmmaker working style that's more like the way other people write books and even other filmmakers like there's you know people I know in Boston and Cambridge who they they do their teaching and they work on their films in the spaces and that they have as opposed to what we've been doing which is doing everything at the same time because we're on somebody else's schedule.
0: Right. I'm wondering, um, having been in the world of documentary filmmaking uh, as a filmmaker, and now in addition to being a filmmaker, being a being a, uh, a professor, do you have a sense of how your students view the import of documentary films differently than maybe you did at earlier in your career? Having been exposed, I would imagine, to just so much more documentary content.
1: It's interesting that you say this because I just had this conversation yesterday and and before that was a couple of other people. I don't know why, but I think that since documentaries are used in the classroom, even though these students now see things in all the streamers and there's all sorts of content, when it comes to them making documentaries, they're almost as like, Birdie and you know like they're more they're they're less they're less imaginative initially than I would have thought. And I've been this is something that I've been working on to try to show, make sure I show them a range of styles to sort of really open them up because I feel like that somehow it's I don't know if it's a combination of school and you know documentary and you're supposed to learn things. It's like, and I think that the other thing that has happened is more and more classes beyond film classes instead of a paper, they're letting people make a documentary, which isn't the kind of documentary that we're talking about. Right. It's more like documentary in lieu of a paper. So yeah, do- very, document
0: your thoughts.
1: Yes, exactly. And yeah. And so I have, it's, it's, it takes a lot to get through that because it's like, we're telling, we're storytellers. Right. We're not, in, we're not, we're not, imparting information we're t- taking people on a journey and they'll pick up information on the way we're trying to tell a story.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I asked the question, particularly of someone like yourself, if, if I go back to that sort of that dedication to the process, this dedication to the project and through no, no fault of their own, I can imagine a contemporary student who's been awash in what feels like instant media, from a production standpoint, from a dissemination standpoint, and they hear someone, you know, spending years and years to tell a disciplined, intricate, multi multifaceted story, it must be a bit of a cognitive dissonance.
1: Yeah. There's surprise. I, every year at the end, and I started doing this when I was at Northeastern at the end of the year, it's like, so what's the most surprising thing? And they're always like, there's two things. It all takes much longer than I expected. Yeah, <laughs> so we're talking about making five to seven minute pieces, and I didn't realize that people did that much planning before they went out to shoot and research. They, I think, there's this idea because you can see paint drying on, you know, YouTube and other places, right? right. You can see a lot of stuff that's just I've just turned the camera on, right. and that's a kind of documenting, but. If you if you agree or uh, accept John Grierson's original definition of documentaries, the creative interpretation of actuality, the creative part is missing. Right.
0: Sure. Right.
1: From what a lot of from their their original conception of what is how documentaries are made. So, yes, it's surprising to them. And uh, and so one of the other things we do and um, that the university was really thought would be a bonus for Wesleyan students is to bring our company, the Film Posse, to Middletown, Connecticut. And so nine students were interns on American Oz. So they. Oh, that's were great. Able to get firsthand, you know, experience the way at least one small production company, which company I say, like with quotes, <laughs> um, does it, you know? And so that was, that's been good. So, yeah, so it's, it's funny. So we also have that other job of like just trying to keep a, a business entity going.
0: Exactly. So, and, 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 and along those lines, I know that, uh, it's very early days on it, but you, you mentioned that uh, the film possibly w- is turning their attention to making a film for Nova. Uh, yeah. so, We'll yeah. be uh, looking forward to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited to work with Nova. Randy, we actually did some work with Nova years ago. Uh, Randy directed a film for the f- series fabric of the cosmos about, you know, theoretical physics. Um, and uh, I stayed away from that cause I wasn't interested, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's a new team in place and we're looking into how scientists are using archaeology and genetics to add to the historical record of the transatlantic slave trade and the lives of the enslaved. And it's going to be a two hour special. It's inter- It's going to be internationally focused and um, it's going to foreground the work of um, black scientists and researchers yeah, on this journey. But it, it's going to be a diverse um, cast of characters. Wow. Um, well. But in addition to that, we're working on um, other things. We're, we're just starting to develop some independent things. And I have a personal project that even predates Lorraine Hansberry. I think I, I
0: know what it is.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> if I say the word donut, am I in oh, the right no, neighborhood? No, no, no,
1: no, this is even older than that, oh, no. but, I, but we wanted to work on that eventually. This even goes back further. It's it's based on some stuff that happened in my childhood. And, um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I actually have a small, I'm getting grant to start working on that. And I'm really excited because I think I see that as the project that's gonna reorient how I, I, I'm, I'm positioned with, I'm even thought of, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's easy to get pigeonholed uh, as doing one kind of thing. And I think that by doing these films for American experience, people, people misunderstand that that's, that's not necessarily how we creatively always think. Right. So if I was doing wedding videos to stay alive, no one would say that those wedding videos are how I as a filmmaker right? right but we do things for american experience and there's a way that i feel like randy and i have been pigeonholed as in in sometimes in very derogatory ways as legacy filmmakers or you know just a certain st- style so sure. we're looking forward to breaking out of the box so to speak and um you know exploring different ways of presenting our ideas
0: so I know that if if folks are interested in seeing if you if they hadn't had a chance to see American Oz the American film uh, the American Experience film it can be found on the American Experience website, uh, or just just go through PBS.org and you can stream it.
1: Uh, right now, it's back under the Sustainer Wall. Is that what oh, it is. Now? yeah they only keep them out for about a month after broadcast. They bring them out again now and then. but uh, you can see it you can see it there. Hopefully, people are sustainer members of their public television stations. It's really important to support public television. and, True that. Uh, and you can now, and I believe the DVDs are also available for sale for those of you who still <laughs> use those,
0: go that route. <laughs> and what about sighted eyes feeling heart? where Where can viewers view those?
1: Yeah, sometimes so. I'm Feeling Heart. You can. It, our distributor is California Newsreel. If you go to newsreel.org, you can find links to to find ways to seeing it. Um, you can streaming rental. Through them. I think it's Vimeo um, or maybe some other site. Mm-hmm. And we're on Canopy. So, um, Canopy with a K for those of you who aren't familiar with it. It's kind of like the Netflix of libraries yep. and universities. And it's available on Canopy as well.
0: That's great. Well, Tracy, Heather, Strain, thank you for making the time in your busy schedule to have a chat. This has been great to catch up. I know that uh, I'll be looking forward to whatever comes next out of the film posse. And I do hope that we get to chat about it.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And I would love to chat with you again. It's great to reconnect and I hope we can stay in better touch.
0: All right. Well, you enjoy your summer and, you know, give yourself a long weekend or something.
1: Right. Thanks. Thanks. Best to your family.
0: Okay. You'd be well.
1: Bye. Thanks.